0: Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion.
1: Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here, we will have case-based conversations and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge focusing on equine health.
0: This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care.
1: Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people
0: not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of the EquiConnect Equine Podcast, brought to you by McKee Poundle Equine Services.
1: I'm Karen, and this is Dr. Kyle Goldie.
0: We're happy to be here. We really hope that you've enjoyed the first three episodes. It looked like we had quite a few people uh, download yeah. the, download the podcast and have a listen. I think we were around, last time I looked, it was 237 or something like that, which is more than we ever expected so that's Absolutely. that's really really uh, exciting yeah what's new with you karen
1: uh not too much it's starting to get sunny out so i'm pretty excited about that a little bit warmer mm-hmm. my kind of ideal working temperature what about with you
0: yeah this time of year it's kind of like the uh the calm before the storm right because you know things are a little quieter in the in the horse world over the winter well at least up in canada anyway or, <laughs> yeah or- clients down in uh, Florida have a have a different experience of uh, the winter season but yeah certainly up here it's it's quieter for the vet community and gives us a chance to rest up and lick our wounds and maybe take a vacation <laughs> and stuff like that but um, yeah as i say it's calm before the storm because coming up very shortly we have mares to start breeding and foals to start uh, helping out and
1: horses start getting ready to show
0: getting ready to show vaccines. We just finished a bunch of uh, dentistry. Um, That's right. We, we had our, our dentistry month. It's uh, it's getting to be that time of year, so kind of exciting. I know one thing that you and I are both kind of looking for at, at this point is as much feedback as we can get from um, the listening audience, you know, uh, with 200 plus people out there listening. I'm, I'm sure You have some constructive criticism. So don't hesitate to write us or call us or uh, get back to us uh, and give us some feedback because we want to make the podcast as good as it possibly can be. You know, we, we really would value that feedback. Also, what other feedback are we looking for?
1: Topics, top,
0: yeah, topics would be would be great. Um, questions that have come up potentially from from topics that we have already covered, things that you want us to elaborate. We'd love the the feedback and love to be able to interact with you guys more. So I know. We have talked about potentially having a um, Facebook page or, or, yep. or something like that for the podcast itself. And in the future, what we'll try to do is have some visual uh, materials available on there as, as well for people to, to sort of coincide with the podcast. So today's topic is uh, very much spring themed. That's right. We're going to talk about... Reproduction and how babies are made. Uh,
1: That's right. (laughs) At
0: least in the equine world, we're going to try to give you guys an overview of some considerations you might make if you uh, if you are considering breeding a mare. And then we'll, uh, as always, have a case to discuss at the end that may or may not have to do with reproduction. Well, we'll see what happens. (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah. So you want to breed a mare? I guess the first thing to think about is what mares make good candidates. Mm -hmm. Karen, can you think of anything that you would be looking for in a good mare or perhaps things that you want to avoid?
1: Well, I think that is something that makes a big difference that I didn't necessarily know the full importance of it until I started working uh, here at McKee Pownall was the age of the mare and if they've ever had a foal before.
0: Absolutely. So what's your experience been with that?
1: Well, I found in working here that a lot of people have a mare, they've been showing the mare, maybe an injury comes up, they're getting a bit older, so they decide to retire from the show circuit mm-hmm. and think to, uh, it's time to breed them. Yeah. And then, in my experience, we started to have a bit of difficulty if it's their maiden, so they have not had a full before, mm-hmm. because they're a bit older, the probability of them getting pregnant is just that much less than before, and I didn't quite realize the importance of it, because in my mind, growing up, I thought you have a show horse. Maybe it's a good one. You think this is a great horse. Love to create another one. Not quite realizing the importance of age, I guess, in that factor.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Uh, And another point that uh, it brings to mind before I forget it is uh, I know a lot of people think of embryo transfer as a, a means of sort of salvaging the genetics from an older mare. Right. And That's not really a great plan from, from my understanding. I've talked to a a few, um, repro specialists in the past and of course, just as you're implying, Mm -hmm. their very first question is how old is the mare?
1: Right. Okay.
0: Mm -hmm. Because I I find clients think that, oh, okay, well I've got an older mare now. Um, she's got a lot of cysts in her uterus or something like that Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, doesn't seem to want to conceive anymore. So we're going to try to, we're going to try to do an embryo transfer. The problem is that her eggs are old too, right? Right. So it, th- there's a lot of factors against them as they start to get older and older. And you know what? I think when we're thinking about embryo transfer in mares, it's mm-hmm. it's not necessarily to try to, as I say before, um, salvage the genetics of, of older mares because that ship may have already sailed. sailed yeah. Uh, it, you know what I mean? And you can spend a lot of money trying to trying to do embryo transfer on a mare that just. Just isn't fertile anymore, Mm -hmm. right? But where it works really, really well... Can you think of a good situation where it would work really well?
1: I'm thinking of those mares that we have that are still competitive.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, if you've got a a four horse mare that's uh, that's still competing, a racehorse, you know, there's all all kinds of uh, situations where you've got these valuable genetics and you'd like to get them propagated sooner than later and not have your mare have to take any time off, right? Right. That's something that could definitely be considered Mm -hmm. um, and something that we're uh, hoping to uh, make more available to our clients, mm-hmm. um, here at Mickey Pownell in the, in the near future. We actually have, uh, Dr. Jim Welsh down in, um, CE course at the moment, uh, trying to, uh, maximize his skills so that we can bring the best, uh, repro skills to the practice, um, to enable us to perform embryo transfer well and, uh, and get the, get the results that our clients are, are looking for. So that's uh, very exciting. Absolutely. So, uh, what do you think of attitude?
1: Well, definitely attitude makes a big difference for us in terms of working with the mare.
0: Yeah, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, like yeah. I'm thinking of sedation-wise. If each time we're going there to mm-hmm. cycle check the mare, it's going to be that extra little bit of cost in order to sedate them and, and to deal with.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You deal with some mares that are just... Yeah, you, you just can't handle them um, for, for the repro exams without uh, without sedation. You know, and sometimes I wonder about uh, are, are those is is there a genetic component to that right. kind of behavior too you know is that something that we really want to propagate and that you know that that can be kind of hard to hard to answer i've definitely seen fools from some mares that were a bit on the evil side that right. turned out perfectly <laughs> perfectly reasonable and 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 vice versa so it's it's difficult to predict another point I'd, i i want to make is that a lot of people think that the the stallion you can you know, basically just pick the stallion that most expensive stallion you could afford for example you know what i mean and that's going to solve all your mare's problems right mm-hmm. and I, I really don't think that's a good way of going about things i think we have to be a little bit more selective about who we choose as as sires because it's a it's a scientific fact that the mare makes up more than 50 percent of the foal
1: Huh? Okay. okay. So mm-hmm. everybody
0: always thinks about the stallion side of the equation, right? So who's the sire of this foal, blah, 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 right. and get all excited about the, the stallion. But ultimately, the mare is more than 50% of the foal.
1: Wow, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. So we really should be picking out good. Good mares, you know, with with good confirmation. Like confirmation, is so important. Oh, absolutely. Um, things I've definitely seen that seem to have a heritable component are, um, club feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you do see that. Like I've I've definitely dealt with mares that consistently produced uh, club foot on the same foot in, in every foal, kind wow. of thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe you decide that's just not what we're going for and you can get the same sort of thing from the stallion side too i generally find we're more selective about who gets to become a stallion someday mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, right, right. Uh, you, you know generally those those horses are pretty spectacular on paper um, before yeah. they even have the opportunity to compete as a stallion but um, but yeah just some different things to consider so if there's one takeaway the the mare is more than 50% of the full. a good mare is very very important and if you think about it tough to find right
1: Mm-hmm, definitely. Anybody
0: can breed to any stallion,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: They're just waiting. All they need is a check, and, and, and <laughs> you're good to go. But try to find a really fancy mare. You know, sometimes it can be uh, it can be a challenge, and and that's because they're they're a highly sought after commodity kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? That's a good uh, good little chat about case selection, and, and you know that there's always going to be controversy as to you know who's good, who isn't, uh, and, uh, what traits are heritable, what aren't blah, 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 blah. But I guess the moral of the story is just, just keep these things in mind when you're, when you're trying to decide. Yeah. Can ahead. we
1: actually touch base just a little bit on the, how it influences Mary's getting pregnant in terms of if they're in some sort of pain due to an injury, we, over the years, we've kind of had mares that have had issues. I'm thinking of one that had a, a foot issue mm-hmm. and it was quite lame, quite sore, and mm-hmm. it wasn't getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the foot issue was dealt with and she was more comfortable, it kind of was like a light twist that she was able to get pregnant soon thereafter.
0: That's a really, really good point. You really want to be breeding healthy horses. Right. Mm-hmm. And that goes same for the stallion side, right? You have poorly kept stallions. They're not going to produce high quality semen going to impair fertility. But absolutely on the mare side, generally what we want is, yep, sound. Cause we, we want to think about what's this mare's life going to be like for the next mm-hmm. 11 months while she's in gestation and then have to deliver a full, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a lot of a lot of physical effort to to d- deliver a full, right? And mm-hmm. to carry a full. So yes, they should be good and healthy and absolutely and sound. The other thing I was thinking is um, they also need to be in good weight, mm-hmm. right? Generally, your, your conception rates are going to be higher when they're in a positive plane of nutrition. So if right. they're gaining weight, maintaining or gaining, they have a, a higher chance of conceiving than if they're losing weight you know right. for example a mare that didn't winter very well and you know it was kind of ribby and i'd probably just put the groceries to her right. <laughs> let her yeah. gain some weight for a little bit um before you start you start trying to breed her because yeah they, they have definitely found that a uh, positive plane of nutrition is is ideal that doesn't mean that we want fat mares. Right. <laughs> right. But uh, but we do want we do want them in a positive plane of nutrition. The other thing that you find time and time again is um underweight mares generally have poor perennial conformation. So that's the uh the conformation of the the angles of the the, the vulva and the anus. Right. Right? So if if you have a, a really underweight mare, they tend to have a really sunken mm-hmm. anus, and so when they uh, past manure and their vulva gets contaminated and in general um they're they're going to be more difficult to get pregnant because it's harder to keep them clean, so to speak right so yeah. um, that, that's a that's another another good point so boy, there's a lot of things to think about when- <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> we and you know, we haven't even we haven't gotten the ultrasound out of the truck yet so, <laughs> right yeah, I wanted to talk about sire selection, so we kind of mm-hmm. touched on that with. You know, for the same reasons you want to pick a a suitable mare, you want to pick a suitable sire, you know, and people will often think about, oh, this mare is a little bit hot. Maybe we'll breed her to a, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit more level-headed stallion or vice versa. Maybe this mare is a little uh, heavy-boned. Maybe we're going to breed her to a, a, a lighter stud, you know. So on and so forth. There's, there's a lot of considerations there and, and, um, you can, uh, you can drive yourself tr- crazy trying to make the right choices, but you know, I think the, uh, the, the other choices that are really, really important, um, relate to, um, semen availability,
1: right? Right. Yes.
0: There's basically three different ways to get semen for your, for your mare. You can either do live cover, which mm-hmm. is, of course, the old-fashioned way. Right, right,
1: absolutely. And
0: the issue there is you generally have to ship your mare to th- that farm. So um, for those familiar with the, uh, with the thoroughbred racing mm-hmm. industry, that's basically how thoroughbreds are, are bred. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good number of them are, are shipped directly to the farm. They're bred. They're sent home. preg check's done in 14 days. If they're pregnant, great. If not, send them back and get them bred again. But uh, yeah, so in in those situations, legally, the stallion actually has to naturally breed the mare. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's live cover. It's not not so popular. Can you think of some reasons why it's not popular?
1: The number one thing that I think about (laughs) in terms of live cover is safety. Um, People safety, the horse safety, the... Mares have to be really, really ready, obviously, to go, uh, but they're in season and they're ready to be bred so that the stallion's not going to get hurt if they're not quite ready.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, And the people involved or the mare, there's just seems, in my mind, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah.
0: Yeah. From what I've heard, it's usually stallions that get hurt, not Mm -hmm. not mares. I've seen some stallions that are a little not the gentlest lovers, but, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but generally, generally they're not going to hurt anybody. Yeah. But yeah, like if you, if a, if a mare kicks a stallion mm-hmm. in the, in the scrotum or something like that, yeah, there, there could be a big, a, Absolutely. big problem, right? So yeah, safety is a, a huge consideration for sure. And as you mentioned with, uh, with people, so usually when, Whenever anybody's around stallion um, mm-hmm. collection, whether they're collecting uh, semen for artificial insemination or whether they're you know sort of assisting with with live cover, mm-hmm. most of the time those those people are wearing helmets and, and that type of thing um, just just to try to be as safe as possible because yeah of things course can, yeah. things can get a little a little scary sometimes. The other two uh, common ways to get semen for your mare are um, fresh chilled mm-hmm. and uh, frozen. Okay. So, don't mean to put you on the hot seat again, but, um, (laughs) you know, can you think of some advantages, disadvantages of frozen semen versus uh, fresh chilled?
1: From my perspective, that comparatively of the two of them, a fresh chilled is our most common. Absolutely, yeah. Because the... Uh, one a uh, bit more readily available is uh, my interpretation, as well as for the frozen. The mares have to be checked so frequently. It seems yeah. like it's um, even more so of a process that's always that's already quite involved.
0: Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so, so you're absolutely right. Um, fresh chilled is it's it's definitely more viable semen when you receive it as long as you receive it in good time and it's going to last longer in the mare. So the mare, the timing of the insemination doesn't need to be as precise. You know, I I feel like most vets are comfortable in saying that if you inseminated the mare within 48 hours of ovulation, that the semen is going to have good enough viability that it should theoretically conceive.
1: Right. Yeah. During that time.
0: The problem with frozen semen is that window is about 12 hours maximum. Okay. So generally what we're trying to do with frozen semen is well, we're trying to inseminate those mares within six hours, either side of ovulation, okay. right? So uh, either six hours before they ov- ovulate or within six hours after they ovulate, generally conception rates are about the same. Those are the challenges uh, there. So yes, uh, it, in terms of Mare management, Mm -hmm. you can usually get by with checking a mare every other day if Mm -hmm. you're breeding with fresh chilled semen. Whereas as you're starting to approach ovulation in frozen semen Mm -hmm. uh, breeding, uh, you're checking those mares every six hours. So there is an additional cost to that. um, Right. Just because of the, uh, the, you know, the the increased need for uh, ultrasonography. Right. The one thing I love about frozen semen Mm -hmm. is Frozen semen is ready whenever you need it, mm-hmm. right? So you could order all the semen you need for the year in January, and okay. put it in your put it in your liquid nitrogen tank mm-hmm. um, to uh, to keep it frozen. Mm-hmm. And it, whenever you have a mare that's that's um, ready to ovulate, it's it's just sitting there. It's just sitting there in the corner of the room, ready for you. The problem that we get into with uh, fresh chilled semen, especially mm-hmm. if we're talking about international fresh chilled semen, so semen coming from Kentucky, Florida, right. wherever, there's a border in between. And so many times we get into issues with that. So right. first of all, what has to happen is we check the mare. Sometimes what happens is the the stallion owner down in the United States wants a day's notice.
1: That's right. Right.
0: So basically you have to anticipate a day out from when you need the semen that we're going to order semen. Right. The semen's collected the following day, shipped that day, and then sent to you so you get it the day after. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So there's a lot of, there can be a lot of lag in between when you order semen and when you get semen. And, and we do definitely get into issues where just timing issues and stuff like that. It can be very challenging.
1: Right. I'm thinking about even mares, like in the terms of how long they keep their follicle before they release it. So, Uh, you know, maybe you think you have that daytime, but really you go to check them the next day and
0: and it's gone. You're too late. And the semen's not even there yet. Yeah, right. it's It can be very, very frustrating. So um, what I've really noticed um, lately is there seems to be a lot more domestic breeding mm-hmm. um, with Fresh Chilled. So um, we're seeing a lot of mare owners choosing Canadian stallions, which is great. Um Absolutely. There's, a, there's a lot of great ca- uh, great Canadian stallions in every discipline, right? Uh, racing quarter horses, standard breads, thoroughbreds, sport horses, barrel horses, you know, Mm -hmm. there's studs all over the place that kind of, uh, prestige or ultimately there's some lovely stallions that stand in Canada. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's much, much easier, uh, to get semen when you need it. Um, because there's no border to cross. That's for sure. Yeah. There's no paperwork, right? Mm -hmm. There's the, the paperwork to get, um, semen across the border can also create problems from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to have CFIA approved import permits and that type of thing. And you really need to have your ducks in a row with that because, um, anybody who's done any breeding with fresh chilled semen from the United States has had an issue before I can, I can almost guarantee it where they're, they've waited a long time at the airport. At the airport. For semen mm-hmm. to come. Yeah. So anyway, these are some considerations to make. Um, You know, yes, there's lots of good stallions in in the United States too, but there are logistical challenges. Even on the Americans' Mm -hmm. side, because they have to get paperwork filled out each time they're going to send semen to to the States, or to Canada rather. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of work on everybody's end to ship semen internationally. Now, that's an issue for fresh chilled. For frozen, if your frozen semen sits at the border for an extra 24 hours doesn't really make a difference you know what i mean because it's being shipped in liquid nitrogen
1: right so So it's
0: it's again it's less time sensitive it's it's not that big a deal but these are just some things to think about and our listeners can talk to their veterinarian and and talk to other other people who have breeding experience Mm -hmm. and and see what their experiences have been um i'm sure everybody's very and maybe i've just had some bad luck i feel like i've spent a lot lot of time at the airport that (laughs) a lot of wasted time there for sure so the next thing i wanted to talk about was how how does the vet help with breeding so you know especially this time of year and mm-hmm. um, racehorses of our a lot of racehorses are already being bred yep. um, other disciplines where birthday doesn't matter so mm-hmm. much are not quite not quite thinking about there, that yep. yet you know what did we do today
1: in the past i've noticed we've had a lot of clients who originally have done kind of the breeding work themselves and they've had some difficulty with mares getting pregnant realizing the importance of having a vet, um, come into the picture. And for us, I guess the first phase is cycle checking the mare.
0: Yeah. And even, even, um, back a step from that, um, we like to do what's like a breeding soundness exam, right? So, um, a breeding soundness exam is, is generally done kind of close to when you think the mare is going to start cycling. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that can really, um, change from year to year and everything like that. Um, but, but generally it's kind of March, April before they're, they're really going to start cycling normally. Mm-hmm. For those of you who aren't aware, they uh, mares go into a period of, um, seasonal anestrus it's called. So over mm-hmm. the winter they don't actually cycle regularly or anything like that. And then that starts to come on again in the spring and there are ways of accelerating that so that you can get mares to start cycling earlier in the mm-hmm. season but that's uh, that's a topic for another another episode but anyway so yeah the, around this time of year is a great time to do a breeding soundness mm-hmm. exam where we can just check out the overall conformation mm-hmm. As you say, uh, check the uh, check the mare's um, cycle. See um, if her ovaries are doing anything yet in Mm -hmm. in this year. And by doing anything, I mean are there are there any um, eggs developing in follicles Mm -hmm. uh, so far? And if there are, uh, we also like to do a uterine swab and cytology Mm -hmm. to make sure that that uterus is you know nice and healthy. There's no no uh, bacterial infections, no uh, inflammatory conditions Mm -hmm. that might interfere with. With breeding, and I think um, I think it's a good investment, right, Uh, to make it at the beginning of the season because you can you can go through cycle after cycle breeding these mares, and not knowing that there could have been an underlying condition, and had you treated that underlying condition, you would have Mm -hmm. had much more success early on in the season, kind of thing, without these futile breedings when the mare had a subclinical infection or something like that. Right. So definitely, yep. That all, that all makes sense. Uh, we'll take a look at the perennial conformation. Mm-hmm. again, just that sort of uh, how, how well the vulva itself mm-hmm. is sealed um, to, to make sure that there isn't a high risk of um, contamination that way. Bacteria contaminates things. What else can contaminate that environment? I'm not sure. Urine.
1: Yes. Right? Yep. so you can
0: get mares that pool urine, and mm-hmm. that can be uh, quite inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the other is uh, air, right? right. So uh, I know, the, like the, the colloquial term is a uh, uh, wind sucker mm-hmm. uh, mares, where the 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 seal of their vulva mm-hmm. is. Uh, not perfect. Mm-hmm. And so when they're exercising and that type of thing, they can suck air mm-hmm. into their vagina and uh, that can be very inflammatory as well. So, um, that's another thing that your, your veterinarian can, can assess and, uh, and address if that mm-hmm. is, if that is going to be a problem. The last thing that they'll look at is the, um, the, the cervix itself, okay. mm-hmm. the, the cervix, depending on if they've had previous foals, mm-hmm. that type of thing, it, it can get injured, um, mm-hmm. during, during delivery and dystocias and that type of thing. So making sure our cervix is in good, uh, in good shape because that could also interfere with, um, with uh, carrying a foal to term mm-hmm. and everything like that. Ooh, some other really good points before we start, uh, just, just remembering this now, <laughs> yeah. um, before we start trying to breed these girls make sure their teeth and vaccines are done already.
1: That's right. Good point. Right?
0: Yeah. Because we really don't like to be giving vaccines or doing elective procedures to mares after they have a full, uh, mm-hmm. after they're pregnant. Right. Because even the, the, the off chance that, you know, you did a dentistry and the mayor aborted the next day, we'd all feel terrible. Right? right. And so that's not to say that we won't, you know, treat emergencies as they need uh, with with the drugs that are required and everything mm-hmm. like that. But you know, for example, if we don't have to sedate a mare for dentistry and while they're pregnant, let's mm-hmm. let's avoid that. So if we're thinking about breeding mares, let's get them vaccinated and their teeth done Mm -hmm. dewormed all that stuff before we start trying to breed them yeah i think that i think that's a that's a good point it's it does happen from time to time that we're like oh shoot we should have done that and then we got to wait a year kind of thing definitely until we can catch up with them so and then okay so we've done our our breeding soundness exam so then what what happens is uh, let's say let's say we're dissatisfied with the results of our exam, maybe there's an infection or something like mm-hmm. that, that, that comes up, well, we'll get that treated before mm-hmm. we start trying to breed any uh, on any cycles or anything like that. And that's usually fairly straightforward, right. um, just some antibiotics and, uh, and some, um, uh, flushes of the uterus mm-hmm. and that, that comes they, they usually come around pretty quickly, and then we'll usually do another swab uh, just to make sure that the infection is cleared. But okay, so let's say let's say all that's good. We've got if there was an infection, we've got that treated. Then then what do we do?
1: Well, then we start cycle checking the mare.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, what what Karen's referring to here is uh, basically with the ultrasound, we're able to mm-hmm. look at the ovaries and the uterus and gauge where that mare is in her reproductive cycle, right? So the mare's reproductive cycle is approximately 21 days mm-hmm. from any point to any point kind of thing. I think that probably the best way to think of it is a mare that's coming into heat. Let's let's yes. use that as our starting point because yeah. it, it gets really confusing and I've never had to... Talk about this without a, a, a like a chart. Or a, <laughs>
1: yeah, you know right. I am mean? so trying
0: to <laughs> trying to think of ways to, to to make it clear without being able to point at pictures, pictures. and stuff like that. But um, yeah, basically, so let's let's pretend a mare is coming into heat. Okay, okay, we know that she's coming into heat because let's say this mare is going to be very nice to us, and mm-hmm. she just shows when she's in heat, mm-hmm. right? She. Yeah. Pees in front of the gelding Mm -hmm. whenever he passes by and she's a, she's a shower. Okay. Perfect. Well, that makes things way easier for us. Right. So then, you know, okay, let's have the vet out. Um, and the vet can do the, um, the ultrasound exam. Mm-hmm. And basically what they're looking at is the ovaries in the uterus. And what are they looking at on the, on the ovary? Well, a lot of people who have been around breeding have heard the term follicles mm-hmm. before. Okay. And a follicle is basically like a fluid filled sac with an egg in the middle of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, what we can do is we can use the ultrasound to look at the size of those follicles the size of the follicle, the number of follicles, which ovary they're on, whether they're on the left ovary, the right ovary. And these continue to increase in size Mm -hmm. as the horse proceeds through its heat, Mm -hmm. right? So we're looking at the uh, follicle size. We're also looking at the uterine tone, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and usually what we're trying to do is compare the two because the appearance of one should coincide with the appearance of the other. So what often we'll see is in a, in a mare that's truly in heat, we've got a, a large follicle. Let's say it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 to 45 millimeters in diameter. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the uterine tone, We often will see um, a uterus that has a lot of edema in it, uh, and that has a characteristic appearance on ultrasound. So once we see those things, we know it's time to order semen. Okay. Okay. And then from that point forward, we Mm -hmm. have some manipulations we can do, particularly in trying to um, speed up the process of making that mare ovulate. Okay, right. because that's what we really want. We want predictability mm-hmm. in the in the cycle. So let let's say the um, we know the, the semen is coming tomorrow. Right. Okay, and we've got a mare that has all the right signs on her ovary and and uterus. We can give her an injection. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple different variations uh, of the injection, but uh, but basically it's a, a drug to promote ovulation, mm-hmm. and usually within. Uh, 36 to 48 hours, those mares ovulate. So we know that when we put the semen in, uh, once they've had that shot, they're going to ovulate in a timely fashion. Mm -hmm. If we don't use those drugs and manage things appropriately, we can end up with these heat cycles that just kind of drag on. Mm -hmm. And and remember what I said about the uh, semen only lasting so long in a mare. Let's say you breed her and she doesn't ovulate for 48 hours, then you're left wondering, well, do we need to breed her again? <laughs> and people really don't like it when you have to order semen twice for a right. given cycle. It's just it's not efficient from the mare, the mm-hmm. sire side, right? So, so that's why we try to use this this timing well and, and try to use these these protocols well. And then, uh, so let's say we get the mare bred. Usually, we'll return in depending on a lot of factors, but usually we'll, we'll return somewhere in twelve to twenty four hours. And make sure that the mare is ovulated. Mm -hmm. So make sure that that egg has hatched, so to speak, and is is in in an area suitable for fertilization. But but what we also want to uh, do is make sure that the mare hasn't, for example, reacted to the semen. Mm -hmm. Right? Because especially if we're dealing with artificial insemination, Mm -hmm. we're not actually dealing with straight semen. Mm -hmm. Right? We're dealing with semen that has... Um, additives to it to preserve the semen, and I, I remember seeing a case um, where a veterinarian bred a mare, mm-hmm. and within five minutes she had hives over her entire body
1: oh my gosh right (laughs) so she had
0: a reaction to that but uh that's an extreme example Mm -hmm. but you can have those reactions in the in the local uterine environment so if we so that's why we want to come and check the mares afterward make sure they've ovulated and make sure they haven't had any reactions or Mm -hmm. retain any fluid that type of thing and there's a variety of treatments that we can do for that the other drug that i wanted to mention um, that we we use on a on a routine basis is the, the hot shot mm-hmm. right and it, i don't want to get too specific on how how it all works if anybody has questions or anything we can talk all about it but basically the, the hot shot is it's what's used to start a new heat cycle mm-hmm. right timing matters um but yeah basically there's two drugs that we're really using to control that heat cycle you, you use the hot shot which is a prostaglandin mm-hmm. to bring the mare into heat and we use the ovulation promoter mm-hmm. whether it's deslorelin or corylon to end the heat right right okay so so we we have controls of both ends of it kind of thing and Mm -hmm. and uh, then we can we can kind of use that that information and and how we know the the mares respond to those drugs Mm -hmm. in order to set up a cycle right Right. because sometimes we'll hear uh oh well the, the stallion can't be collected this week oh okay well We'll have to time our, our hot shot on a different time because we don't want her to come in to heat on this week because we can't get semen that week, right? And that's a, it's a total, total wasted, uh, right. wasted cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's a very elaborate, um, procedure as, uh, as equine veterinarians, a lot of us have good knowledge of it, good set for, for getting these mares pregnant and managing the, the conditions that they develop along the way. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions. Do you have any questions from, from that discussion, Karen?
1: I don't have any questions. I think you just touched based on something really important that was for that particular point in time of what we're dealing with in terms of the mayor and their cycling is predictability. I think that people often don't realize that each mayor is different, just like people, and you have to be able to coordinate and, and figure things out. So it's efficient and we're not wasting money on uh shipping things like shipping the semen or vet bulls and that sort of things in terms yeah. of trying to make it very predictable is kind of what the hardest part in terms of that step
0: yeah that's a really really good point the the problem with uh one of one of the areas that I I see people express at least some reluctance to is frequent ultrasound exams, Mm -hmm. right? Because it does get expensive, especially if you've got a call fee Mm -hmm. and then the ultrasound exam. But again, to your point about predictability, um, they're not all the same. They don't all read the same textbook, so to speak. Right. So it really is important to, to, to check these mares regularly, um, to check the mare when the the vet feels it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. Because, um, that's when things get missed, right? That's when infections get missed. That's when post breeding reactions get missed. That's when, um, failed ovulation is missed, for example. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if the mare didn't ovulate in a, in a timely fashion, we have to breed her again. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a really, really good point. I I do find that when you start making assumptions about, you know, the anticipated outcome or the anticipated uh, progress of a given heat cycle, that's when things start to kind of fall apart. It's really, really important to be thorough in, in the examinations and be, uh, systematic and, uh, Follow a schedule mm-hmm. because yeah, you're absolutely right. If you if you don't, uh, things start to fall through the cracks for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. Let, let's assume that our, our breeding went perfectly. We did a, a check 24 hours later, mm-hmm. everything looked great. Mare ovulated. There's no fluid in her uterus. 14 days later, we check her, and hopefully we find a little black dot on the ultrasound, and that would that would be the sign of a uh, of a pregnancy. Hopefully, we only see one of them.
1: That's <laughs> what so I was gonna say. The yeah. importance of Checking them at that would be to make sure that they don't, one, we see the pregnancy and two, that we only see one pregnancy.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, horses are, are not designed to carry two, uh, to, to carry twins. So it's very, very important that uh, mares are preg checked at 14 days to detect twin pregnancies so that they can be dealt with in a timely fashion. Mm-hmm. Because um, if you if you don't, they will almost certainly abort. And it's usually a, a late term kind of kind of thing. So it's just a it's very disappointing. And, and generally, mm-hmm. the, both the false die. It's a wasted year and it's a lot of emotional toll. And so, yeah, Definitely. it's best, best try to avoid that. Absolutely. And then uh, what happens at, you know, your 30-day check, Karen? What do you see then?
1: I don't actually know. Heartbeat. Heartbeat.
0: Yeah. So cool. Yeah, yeah, especially if you got a good ultrasound machine and and you can see uh, like it with with good fine fine mm-hmm. detail around that 30 day mark, um, you can see that the heartbeat plain as day. It's it's really really cool. So, and usually we'll we'll do one more check after mm-hmm. that sometime around 60 days just mm-hmm. to make sure they're still in full. Boy, we could go on and on talking about mare management. A couple other points just to think about, mares should be should receive uh, herpes virus vaccines throughout their pregnancy to prevent herpes virus abortion. You can talk to your veterinarian about that. I know we've gone through a lot of information in a, in a short time span here, but I hope it's given people a good sort of overview of some things that they should consider and I think it's a good opportunity to also talk about um, some new services that Mickey Powell is going to be offering in the near future. As I mentioned previously Dr. Jim Welsh mm-hmm. is solidifying his training in embryo transfer, equine mm-hmm. embryo transfer. So we are hoping to be able to offer embryo transfer services in the near future, as mm-hmm. well as uh, frozen semen breed And on-farm artificial insemination breeding. Mm -hmm. Very, very excited about that. Uh, We've got a a new facility uh, that'll be opening up in the Schaumburg area Mm -hmm. in about a month's time, uh, where we will be focusing on uh, reproduction services, all manners of, of those as well as providing rehab facility uh, for horses, so being able to offer uh, veterinary supervised rehabilitation therapies and that type of thing. So we're all very very excited about mm-hmm. that, especially uh, for uh, the the veterinarians who are really interested in reproduction. Mm-hmm. We're really really excited about that because it just allows us to offer more services in a efficient manner. Mm-hmm. Because. Driving all over the countryside, we do get spread pretty thin. So by able, by being able to have more horses in one location, um, it, it's only going impre- to improve the success rate of breeding. And I think it's going to be a, a win-win for everybody. So Definitely. The other thing we wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. this is a long episode so far. Um, <laughs> the other thing we wanted to talk about was our case. That's right, our case. For the week. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about a... And we're going to tie this into spring, so bear with us here. So let's pretend um, we have a mare. Okay. She is 10 years old, and it is July. Okay. She's been having a good summer. It's been lots of hot, dry weather, everything.
1: Beautiful sunshine. Beautiful
0: sunshine. Yeah, it just seems like a... Like, so far off in the <laughs> distance right now, yes. right? With the weather like it is right now. But, uh, yeah. Someday. Soon. Someday in July, it's going to be nice out again. Anyway, so we've got this um, this this mare. She's uh, 11 years old. She's a quarter horse mare. And we notice her being kind of dull. Okay. That's all we really notice about her. She's dull.
1: Still eating and... Uh
0: eh, she's not eating as much as she was. Okay. Yeah, I'm not... Not, not too sure. Uh, I'm the owner right now. I'm not the, I'm Okay, the perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. She She's just, just kind of dull. It's been kind of going on for a couple of days. You know, I, I think she's getting better and then she's not. She's been passing manure, but not as much as usual. Okay. You know, that, that type of thing. She just, to borrow a phrase, she just ain't doing right. right? <laughs> Do you know it's a medical acronym? Oh, a- really? ADR. Yeah, if you ever see ADR on a medical record, it means ain't doing right.
1: That's, <laughs> I that's, did not know I think know that's that. used
0: in human medicine, too. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, yeah. So that's what she is. She's ADR. 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 Okay. Okay. What do you think? Is it time to call the vet?
1: Have we taken her temperature?
0: That's a really good question. <laughs> uh, let's take her temperature. Her temperature is 39.3 what's, Celsius.
1: What's that in Fahrenheit?
0: I don't know I work in I'm Canadian so I work in uh, I work in Celsius but let me tell you that's a fever
1: she is hot
0: she's hot okay mm-hmm. so boy that's that's weird yeah what do we usually do for fevers
1: well you would think to give Banamine to to try to bring it down
0: yeah yeah it's good as choice as anything <laughs> absolutely um, yeah we, we could give we could give banamine if I'm your veterinarian at this point mm-hmm. I would want a phone call.
1: Definitely. I okay. think so. Being dull, a high temperature like that.
0: Exactly. Because let's say let's say you're dealing with a three-year-old mm-hmm. and it was winter mm-hmm. and it had a fever like that. You might be thinking it's a respiratory virus or something like that. You know, it'll, it'll just pass. But the history in this particular situation is really important. Okay. Okay. It's summer. Yep. We've got a dull horse who isn't eating well. Mm-hmm. And has a fever. I really hope that this history is sinking in for our clients here, Mm -hmm. okay, or our listeners, because it's very, very important and one that would be great if people picked up on a little bit sooner. Mm -hmm. Because this horse has Potomac horse fever until proven otherwise. Okay. Okay. The reason I I say that, again, based on the history, is because we want to start treatment for that horse immediately.
1: Right. It's my understanding that the test for... Potomac takes a long period of time to get results back in which the horse could take a significant turn for the worse before you'd even get the test back. Is that correct?
0: You'd think... I asked you to ask me that question. (laughs) What a perfect question. Absolutely. That's great. Generally, we'll do testing, especially if it's in the, if it's in the budget, testing is usually two to $300. It's not not a cheap test. So sometimes it's financially unachievable and Mm -hmm. that's, that's understandable. Even without the test, I would be starting this horse on treatment for tonic horse fever. Mm -hmm. Treatment for tonic horse fever is multimodal. Okay. Very first thing we do is start them on oxytetracycline, Mm -hmm. okay, which is an antibiotic that generally has to be given intravenously. Often, this will require multiple visits by Mm -hmm. your veterinarian to administer the oxytetracycline. There are ways of doing it once a day and twice a day. It's up to logistics, but that's the most important thing. Number two, as you said before, banamine or flunixin for two reasons. Why do we need that? Probably even three reasons.
1: Well, thinking offhand, the temperature, as you mentioned, try to reduce that as yep. well as it's it sounds like it's uncomfortable to try to help with the comfort level of the horse. Sure.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Horses with any time you have a horse that isn't eating. Mm -hmm. You should take its temperature. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen horses not eating, take your temperature and they've got a sky high fever. Mm -hmm. Lots of times, as I said before, it's a respiratory virus and, you know, just like you or I getting a a cold or flu kind of thing, it'll pass and, you know, the horse just needs to be managed appropriately, but they're often not eating and it's just because they feel crappy, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, banamine, the miracle drug comes in and will make them feel so much better, Mm -hmm. right? It'll bring the fever down and, and just, just decrease that overall feeling of malaise. Number two, the bug that causes Potomac horse fever, which is called Neorakitsia rusticii, is attacking the lining of the intestines. There's going to be a lot of inflammation associated with that. So we need Banamine to protect that. Mm -hmm. Another thing that can happen when the intestine starts to get injured, and Mm -hmm. this can happen with other types of colitis as well, is that uh, that intestinal wall becomes leaky. Okay. Okay. And when intestine becomes leaky, mm-hmm. it leaks out all those toxins that are otherwise contained in the in the uh, intestine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And those uh, toxins cause things like sepsis, septicemia, all kinds of things. Banamine is really good for treating that. Okay. Okay. Specifically um, as it relates to coliform bacteria. And the other thing, and perhaps the most important thing, is to decrease inflammation overall throughout the body, particularly in the feet. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because most of the time we can reliably get a horse over the the other signs of mm-hmm. Potomac horse fever, but it's laminitis that becomes the, the, the big issue for these guys mm-hmm. and, and an issue that they're going to be dealing with for months to years. Mm-hmm. Right. Mo- most importantly, that's, that's another important reason why we're giving banamine to these horses or Flinixen is to prevent laminitis. Okay. Mm-hmm. Other strategies for preventing laminitis in these guys, icing the feet. Right. Okay. So mm-hmm. we'll ice the feet constantly. So in this particular case, Uh, 24 hours later, the horse developed diarrhea. Mm -hmm. Potomac horse fever doesn't always present with diarrhea, but most of the time it will. And it's usually a... A very watery diarrhea. Right. And if not managed properly, they're going to get dehydrated. They're going to end up with electrolyte um, abnormalities. Getting back to the point of we got to try to make them feel better. Mm-hmm. It's really, really important that we can keep them feeling good with the, with the Flunixin mm-hmm. to keep them drinking. Yes. And, uh, and eating. You know, just as in people, if you continue eating, your body's pretty good at sorting these things out. It's when you stop eating and you just have these constant deficits that you end up with big issues, right? Mm-hmm. So those are some of the, the biggest factors to it. I'm not sure how many of our listeners have dealt with Potomac horse fever in the past, but it, it is definitely something to keep on your radar. I am I initially practiced out more e- uh, east of this call mm-hmm. region, and we I think we saw more cases of it out that way, but we'll, we'll inevitably see cases in this area as well. It's generally transmitted by waterborne insects. Okay. So mayflies, caddis flies, that type of thing. Snails are an important part of the life cycle of the, the bug that mm-hmm. causes the issue. That's the Neorickettsia resisi. And so managing water around your horses is also very, very important. So I'm not a big fan of letting horses drink out of ponds, for example, you know, real boggy areas and stuff like that. I would try to keep horses away from it because really it doesn't take much, but you you see that sometimes in the summer when you've got this, especially at the beach, you'll see this line of dead bugs, Mm -hmm. right? Those could all be full of um, the, Mm -hmm. the, the causative agent kind of thing, right? Really want to try to limit their exposure to those dead bugs definitely. Um, That involves uh, keeping water troughs clean. Mm -hmm. Another really, really good point that somebody brought up to me is uh, keeping lights off around the barn at night. Okay. Because otherwise all the, all the bugs are attracted to the light and then they die and they fall in the water. And then you've potentially got a contamination issue there.
1: Definitely. The lights, I've heard a lot of people switching from the exterior lights from the barns of the lights, just keeping one on all night to switching to the sensor ones. So at least it's, limited more like time exactly that
0: exactly but uh, I, I do definitely think that's a that's a big factor keeping the keeping their exposure to to the bugs down absolutely what other things can people do to prevent potomac karen
1: they could vaccinate for it
0: oh, man. incredible <laughs> answer yeah so there is a vaccine on on the market for <laughs> uh for potomac horse fever um, we stock it uh, we have it available in two forms it, we have it with rabies as Mm -hmm. well so um by combining it with rabies you can just give less shots overall Mm -hmm. it's not ever combined with any other vaccines to the best of my knowledge Mm -hmm. it's just like any other vaccine if your horse hasn't been vaccinated for potomac horse fever before it should generally be given in the spring Mm -hmm. because you know we want their immunity to be built up in anticipation for summer the and generally it takes two. A booster right so you get one shot Mm -hmm. and then a booster and that uh, that will vaccinate them for it uh, and then annually thereafter the there is some controversy out there about vaccination Uh, there the the problem is that the vaccine itself doesn't contain all of the strains of uh, potomac horse fever Mm -hmm. that are around but I feel pretty strongly that it, at least it's going to decrease the mm-hmm. the clinical signs. So even if they the horse were to get it, it's going to decrease the severity of the condition. You know, I, I do definitely see this present in different different fashions. Some, you know, we do see very mild cases where we start and and people are, are people are monitoring their horses closely and report these these this dullness that type of thing. We start the Uh, treatment right away and and those horses generally do well but there are horses that need to be sent to a hospital right um, to to manage their fluid losses yeah it really can vary in severity so anything we can do to to decrease the severity of the clinical signs i think is really really important so vaccine uh, vaccination super important and then environmental changes i think are, are really really important too again to summarize um you know if it's summertime and you have a horse that's dull uh, with or without a fever, definitely give your veterinarian a call to discuss it because Potomac horse fever is a very important and severe mm-hmm. disease. And the sooner you start treatment, the the better the end result is going to be. It's also going to be less expensive the, the, the sooner you get on it and, and you're going to get a better outcome. Just something to – I wanted to talk about that today just to – uh, put it in people's minds because it's mm-hmm. at this time of year when people are starting to make the decisions about um, what they're going to vaccinate their horses for. You know, I, do, I don't know that uh, Potomac horse fever is necessarily in everybody's radar, but mm-hmm. I hope that this does get people thinking about it. Absolutely, horses can die from it, mm-hmm. and absolutely, horses can get laminitis from it, which in itself. So, that was a lot. <laughs> Talk for an hour now. <laughs> I think we've imparted a lot of wisdom.
1: I'm, I definitely hope so. <laughs> no,
0: I'm just kidding. I hope everybody's really enjoyed the episode today. It had kind of a spring theme um, because the sun's shining and we're all getting excited <laughs> for, for the season to, uh, to take full effect. We went through a lot of information today. Hopefully it at least gets people thinking about it. And um, if you have questions... By all means, give us a call or your, your local veterinarian, give them a call and uh, and discuss these things with them.
1: And we just want to stress again to please give us your feedback. You can call us, email us, however you would like to get a hold of us. And just let us know how we're doing, what things you want to hear from us. and.
0: Well, thanks so much, Karen. Thank you. Have a great day.
1: You too. Thanks.